Craig Millerman, and welcome to Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. You did that so well on one take. Perfection. <laughs> it was live. I didn't have any choice, right? Well, is that ever an issue? Like, like okay, so have you, you've worked for a lot of directors. Are you a one-take kind of guy? or? Frequently not. For, yeah. Because there's lines and things that you have to know. Right. Yeah. Right. And how is it, how's the memory, like, it terrifies me, the thought of trying to memorize something. How is that these days? Um, I don't find memorizing lines difficult. I find mm. remembering people's names <laughs> difficult. You know, I've been told... Including that, people that I've known for 30, 40 years. Okay, so I've been told that's an Ashkenazi Jewish thing, that we have this thing that we don't remember names. Now, when you say we, are you using the royal we? Okay, so are you not an Ashkenazi Jew? Do I look Jewish? Yes! No, you're not Jewish? Yes, of course you are. <laughs> all right, all right, I do that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. I'm actually Sephardic, but are on, you Sephardic? On, one, on one side. Okay, because I, I've literally been told that Ashkenazi Jews, I use that as my excuse why I can't remember anybody's name that I've known for a million years. It's well, I was an Ashkenazi and Sephardic Jew when I was 30, and I can remember people's names pretty well. <laughs> I know, me too. I, I use coconut oil every day in my coffee trying to... to uh, combat the memory thing. So, okay, so Fred, yesterday I watched um, your story. A serious man? I, I watched I watched <laughs> a serious man. I watched your story turn into a serious man. Oh my God, what a part you played. Thank um, you. I, I, my empathy, what, what, what's what's his name, the, the, the lead actor? The, Michael Silver? Larry, the character? Larry. His, my empathy for him in that film, he rips your guts out because Everything happens against this guy, especially you. But you get your just comeuppance. But I, I, I don't want to give too big a spoiler. Well, he, he is, uh, he's my dear friend. Is at, he? Uh, yes. Yeah. Super, and, a, and a wonderful actor, as I'm sure you Excellent. know. Excellent. Uh, but he does take it very hard in that movie. Um, <laughs> there are people who think that his fecklessness, the fact that he can't stand up for himself, makes him. Not I don't so want to say good. deserve it. <gasps> But makes him a, makes him a target for the kind of not, not target's not fair, but makes him somewhat culpable. The fact that he can't really stand up for himself uh, makes him somewhat party to all of the the misfortunes that that occur. And what do you think about that? Do you think that's so? Well, here's what I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's human nature to want to believe that there's a code that we can follow. If mm -hmm. only we were good, if only we didn't hurt other people, if only we weren't selfish, if only we kept our promises, that no shitty thing would befall us, that no, no misfortune, we wouldn't get cancer, we wouldn't get hit by cars, we wouldn't grow old, we wouldn't get divorced. It's not the way life is. It's not the way life is. But there's something deep within us, mm -hmm. it may have to do with our childhoods, it may have to do with something else, that wants to believe, desperately wants to believe, that we would be protected from life's ugly, painful events uh, if, ju if we were only good enough. I think so, that's totally true. Mm -hmm. So I think Larry's problem in mm -hmm. that movie, mm -hmm. of course that's a movie about a man and religion, and that the, the doctrine that you act a certain way to receive a kind of protection or a kind of blessing is deep in many people's understanding of or, 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 or suspicions about religion. People have been trying to make deals with God for a long, long time. Please explain the beginning to me, because I watched, I was multitasking at the very beginning when the Dybbuk is there. What is that about? What is going on there? What are we supposed to take from that? 
I can only tell you my guess. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know, and it's okay. no, it's no better you, than anybody else's. The Coen Brothers never explained. This is a Coen Brothers movie for those of you who, yeah, if you no. haven't seen it, no, if you haven't seen a Serious Man, it's on Netflix. It is phenomenal. I was, I, it, it's phenomenal. That's kind of and your, I appreciate and your that. performance is amazing, and sh as as many have written, should have been an Academy Award turn for you. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. So, so, so what is that beginning about? I, I, I didn't, I, I... Well, I mean, I think it's about the thing that we were just talking about. Okay. I think it's about... Well, okay. People haven't seen the movie, so I don't want to spoil it for them. But think of what comes on the screen right after you see that whole beginning. It says, except with simplicity... A quote from the Rambam, I think, or Russia, I can't remember mm -hmm. if it's Rambam. It says... Except with simplicity, everything that happens to you. Except with simplicity, everything, everything that, that happens, happens to you. you. In other words, mm -hmm. the bad things and the good things. Mm -hmm. They're not indicative of your merit or of your uh, failings. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. So your, your blessings are not indicative of your merit. Well, I think, yeah, I think in the larger sense that's true. I mean, I, I, think, I, I, think, that's, I think that's part of the message, if, there, if, the, if the movie could be said to have a message. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I hate to think of any work of art as being so reductive as to have a message yes. you could put in your pocket and take home. I don't think anybody sits down to write a piece of art and says, I want to make this point. Does anybody do that? I think people do, but I, I, think, I think their artwork shows it, right? Yes. Um, I think... The, the Kahn brothers, who are mm -hmm. often accused of being sadistically unconcerned for the plight of their <laughs> other their characters, viewer. observe about life mm -hmm. correctly mm -hmm. that we all would like to believe mm -hmm. that if we walk, if we toe the line, all would be well. But we see it in our own lives and in the history of everything else. Mm -hmm. That it's just not that way. That isn't to say that it isn't worth it to, to be the best mm -hmm. Vicki Abelson or Fred Melamed that you can, mm -hmm. because you do accrue a great deal of happiness and good fortune by doing that. But it doesn't protect you from the horrible things that still happen. You know, really in the twelve step programs, of which I know about and other people I'm sure know about too, um, <laughs> uh, some people, you know, and by the way, We'll talk about this, but people have adapted all kinds of sayings and mottos and things that they co-opted that have nothing to do with what's really in the books. They just adapted them, but such I, as oh, such as uh, God never gives you anything that you can't, you can't handle. handle. Mm -hmm. yeah. Complete bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tell us the people who are in Auschwitz. Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. Um, or mm. somebody whose child has cancer, uh, or, or somebody who has a child with autism, or somebody which we'll whose husband drops about. dead on the golf course, mm. or anything mm. that happened. I mean, I, they don't have to be great tragedies to make you know that life has within it things that are terrifyingly unpredictable, mm -hmm. and even things that are predictable that are pretty tough, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So, what is the function of art in all this? I mean, I hate to be so professorial. No, I, I, this is important, relevant. Yeah, so it's to make you think, well, what is life actually like? What is the truth about life? Wow, we're getting to some heavy shit right off the bat today. 
What is it? What is the truth, Fred? What is the truth about life? Oh, see, we came to find out the truth about life. Fred's going to tell us the truth about life. Well, this I don't great. know. I mean, I I could tell you my life. Okay. Like, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's worth it to keep your word. Mm -hmm. It's worth it to try and be a good man or woman mm -hmm. if you can. It's definitely worth it. There's mm -hmm. much to be said for it. But, but, the rules are that there aren't too many rules. Okay, I, I believe that's true, and I think things happen to people that they don't deserve to. I, I mean, I also on believe, both ends. I also believe in karma, and I believe that things carry over from one life to the next. So, what might be inexplicable in this life, I believe in reincarnation and all of that. I think stuff. even in your own life, there's karma. I agree. So, what I'm saying, like I did a couple things that were bad behavior at once upon a time because I am a person in recovery and wasn't always this person that I have strived to become. And I did some bad behavior, and I, in one week, got bit by a dog and got rear-ended twice. For my, <laughs> and I believe that I was just delivered. My karma was delivered unto me in no uncertain terms immediately. Are you karma. are you at liberty? No, I'm to, not. To... I'm not going to tell you what I did. I'm not going to tell you what I'm I did. I'm wondering if the punishment but, fit the crime. No, the kind of I don't know, but it, yeah, I mean, I could have been a better person. I mean, I didn't kill anybody but you know did I deserve to get bit by a dog uh, it wasn't rabid at least but and I got rear-ended twice and it all happened within days and and I have found Fred that when I do the right thing when I am in grace and I am consciously aware of trying to be of service and be my best self pretty good things happen like I you know things are okay and it doesn't mean everything is wonderful but I do find that when I act out, I'm karmically delivered payment almost immediately, always. I mean, I, I have a slightly different take on that. Okay, let's hear. Well, for one thing, just to deal with the three things, you, I'm <laughs> sure you know the Shakespeare quote, I'm sure you've heard it. Um, when sorrows come, they come not in single spies, but in battalions. <laughs> That's just true. Yeah. Shakespeare, like the Coen brothers, mm -hmm. told it like it was yes. and is. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think that you influence reality in such a way that it bites you back in the ass or bites your hand. I, I maybe I don't know. But I, I did get bit almost on the ass. It was on the thigh. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that dog knew whose <laughs> that, thigh to grab. That's right. But I, I do think. Mm -hmm. That if you keep your word, mm -hmm. if you try and live honorably, to use a corny expression, mm -hmm. if you try and be a good mm -hmm. uh, person, mm -hmm. it sounds so weak. It sounds I, so trite, but it's, but, but no, it's, it's the it's truth. truth. But yeah. I think what happens is mm -hmm. you're better prepared to deal with the things that frighten, weaken, hurt in life. It, I think build, that's true. it builds up your idea mm -hmm. of who you are and makes you, it has a. Um, a fortifying effect? A fortifying, constructive effect mm. on you as a human being. And it makes people regard you differently, regard you with trust, regard you with mm. esteem, and you esteem mm. yourself. I mean, this is all, you know, kind of uh, textbook, kind of self-help stuff, but mm -hmm. it, actually it's all true. I think so. So, you know, like, people talk about prayer. In, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, if, from my point of view, now it may be silly to try and ration, make rational thought about prayer, mm -hmm. but here's the way I look at it. Uh -huh. I don't believe, as the Catholics say, that you can petition the Lord with prayer. I believe 
Yes. That if God is really God, mm -hmm. God would know your prayers before you prayed them. And does it mean that it's your volition that's the signal to God? To me, I think it's not God that changes, but you that changes mm -hmm. as a result of prayer. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, I, I, that, that's very powerful. I've never thought of it that way, but I agree with that. But I also believe that there is a divine power. Uh, there is a greater grace than my grace. Than, oh, I do too. Right? So I do too, that, but, I, but I'm not sure it's or his or her. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, method of doing things mm -hmm. is to listen to the pleading exhortations of humanity to decide what to do. Uh, okay, I, I, I like that. I, I've also found, though, that when I humble myself enough to ask for help, it usually arrives. But that when I am being willful and deciding that I am going to do it my way, I'm going to do what I want, all right. No question. I walk into walls. No question. But as soon as I humble myself. Right, but is that because, here, here's the uh, thing, it's hard to say. All I can mm -hmm. say is I know that you're right. Experientially, mm -hmm. I know you're right. Mm -hmm. If that's because the act of humbling myself changed me, or if because, or it's because, who changed knows? Changed me. Yeah, of course. But, but sometimes it changes the external circumstance. Sure. Oftentimes. Yeah. So that's the part that's interesting. Things that I have no control over. Um... It's interesting. And, and while we're talking about this, I, I, I mentioned before we went on the air that I wanted to bring up your post on Facebook, which um, I was that really affected me uh, the other day. It, uh, happy Hanukkah to those of you who are celebrating. Happy Hanukkah yeah, to you, Yeah, and Fred. to everyone, to all, everybody who's, everybody, everybody, everywhere. Everybody, everywhere. And so I, I'm looking at your menorah, but it doesn't have candles in it. Did you already burn them tonight? We did. We, okay. we had a little thing with our kids. We gave nice. them presents. And for some reason... You know how Jews argue about everything? There's no standard size for candles in menorahs. I couldn't find ones. My wife couldn't find ones that fit into that. She oh. could only get like birthday candles that were like too small. Oh. So you had to like yeah. hold them or oh. melt the wax in there. Anyway. Uh, um, Bed Bath & Beyond is very good about having different size candles, I found, by the oh, way. Good to That's know. a good place to go. Um, but anyway, you had this post on Facebook where you were likening... Uh, you, you tell it rather than me try to paraphrase it. Uh, well, what I was saying was, it's good to remember that Hanukkah is actually a holiday of resistance. It marks the time when our ancestors resisted the growing uh, move towards Hellenism. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I don't mean the brilliance of Aristotle you know, and other uh, Greeks who were responsible for inventing democracy. This is political Hellenism. Okay. So the Greeks were taking over all of what we think of as the classical world and uh, running it. Mm -hmm. um, the Jews in the in the temple, um, or the temple had been destroyed, banded together um, to resist Hellenism, to resist their not only their religion but their culture being completely taken over, and their idea of right and wrong mm -hmm. being taken over. So the point that I was trying to make was just that this is a holiday. Can you tell the miracle of Hanukkah, just for people that might not know what it is, why? Yeah, so the menorah... I didn't that, mean to put you on the spot. No, no, it's fine. I mean, I, I'll give you like... The footnote, the, uh, what is it called? What are those? The cliff note version. Right. Yeah. yeah. The cliff note version. I'll, I'll give you the, the Maxwell House Coffee Haggadah version. There you go. There go. I have uh, one of those. Right. So uh, there was a temple. Uh -huh. Now originally, now there's temples all over Southern California, but in right. those days mm -hmm. there was only one temple, mm -hmm. okay, which is in Jerusalem. 
So uh, the temple had within it uh, a light mm -hmm. to burn, which was symbolic of our faith, symbolic mm -hmm. of our everlasting faith. The light is never supposed to go out because it represents our faith, which never dies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and what, the, what do they call that? That's called something, the eternal flame? Is that the eternal flame? I think that's the thing that's on President Kennedy's Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, wrong, <laughs> wrong I'm not sure. ever-present light. Never mind. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was never bar mitzvah. Yeah. I don't know any of that stuff. Oh, real? No, uh, no. Okay, we'll talk about that too. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, there was this oil light. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be lit all the time. Um, the, the temple was surrounded by soldiers who had, uh, who, who had destroyed much of Jerusalem, much mm -hmm. of Jewish Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Um, there was only enough oil, to, supposedly, for one, to, for one night to burn. Mm -hmm. uh, miraculously, somehow, this little amount of oil burned for seven nights. Mm -hmm. So, which is symbolic of that our faith and our culture survived uh, and has survived, you know, uh, the Jewish people and the land of Judea has been, like many other parts of the world, has been mm -hmm. taken over by invading forces countless, countless, countless right. times. Mm -hmm. In spite of that, in mm -hmm. spite of the diaspora, the diaspora that we all in all over the world, including mm -hmm. to California. Um, uh, a lot in New York. A lot in New York. <laughs> New York. Both of us. Yeah. Um, uh, somehow, uh, the religion has kept together. Now, why are there eight... Why are there eight? Why are we celebrating? Why do we celebrate for eight days? Um, if there were seven, if it lit the you know, flame did for seven days. Maybe it's eight. I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be eight because there's eight things on the thing. Yeah, no, you're yeah I'm thinking right. it's eight. Somebody right. said to me seven last night too. I said, no, it's eight. I only it's look eight. like a rabbi. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even Bob Israel. Who am I asking this for? So, okay, so if we're comparing the resistance of, of the Jews back then and what your point was. My point was that. that in many generations, mm -hmm. the resistance of evil, the resistance of forces that wish to bring culture down, that, mm -hmm. wish, that wish to attack what we avow as decent, mm -hmm. uh, is in the interest of progress of humanity. There are forces like that that occur throughout history again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's necessary for us to resist those forces, not only to resist them from uh, ugly examples that may exist in our world today, but also those, those forces that exist within ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Everybody has seductive, uh, the seductive potential to be swayed by selfishness, by desire to have one's own ends, you know, met. But that doesn't make us like the idiot in chief who is in the process of his selfishness and craziness, destroying lives of all kinds of people. That's a different kind of evil for me. Um, well, I'm not exactly sure who you're referring to, but if it... <laughs> the idiot in chief? I, I can't call him by, by the term that we call people in that position of power because he, to me, there is nothing presidential it, about the, the, the man, whole. The, let me tell you something. I'm, as, as you, mm -hmm. I'm from New York. Yes. At, where, where, he, where he is was well known and understood for long, long before any of yes. this national stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And he is so roundly uh, hated in New York, and mm -hmm. it's such a laughing stock mm -hmm. to most people in New mm -hmm. York, that I, the whole idea that he would even run seemed ludicrous to me. And I remember joking to my friend, I hope the American people are not going to get confused by this Kennedy-esque level of charisma that this man <laughs> has. Um, you, any eight Come on, old, don't compare him to Kennedy. Kennedy was fantastic. Was fantastic. Any, you can't... Th this guy, any eight-year-old... Mm -hmm 
who's been watching television mm. knows he's an idiot. Can see from a mile away. Yeah. This is not some Machiavellian genius. <laughs> this guy looks like what he is. <laughs> you don't have to be and, and and make and doesn't try and disguise it very much in what mm. he says. Mm. I mean that would be different. Mm. What's so disheartening? What's so shocking? Mm. What's so painful to me and you and probably a lot of other people is he doesn't hide what he is. Mm -hmm. and, and he gets yet, away with it. And yet people, by the score, love him and believe in him. Um, Come on, do people really love him? Yes, they do. I, I, yes, they do. I, I, they love money. I, I, think, I think anybody who is behind him has one, sees one thing, and that's money. The strange and painful uh, irony is that the very people, many of the very people, mm -hmm who need progressive movements to help them. This is true. Have been sold this insane idea mm -hmm. that unionism is wrong, mm -hmm. that sharing wealth is wrong, mm -hmm. that public assistance is wrong. It's, it, it, it's amazing it, it's, how it's many It's unbelievable. It, it, it is amazing. The only good explanation I've ever heard is a quote from somebody, I can't remember who, mm -hmm. who said that the problem with uh, the American people not placing blame where it belongs, which, which is in the class of robber barons mm -hmm. <clears throat> who continue to enrich themselves, is because the American people think of themselves not as an underclass, but as a temporarily embarrassed set of future millionaires. <laughs> and I, even though that's a joke, I don't think it's entirely a joke. I think people, I, think about that. I think people have given up on the idea that you can actually improve your lot through education, hard work, I mean, no, certain that's people. really sad, yeah. And instead, mm -hmm. they're doing something like the equivalent of playing the lottery. Mm -hmm. Somehow I'm going to get, somehow I'm going to be rich. Somehow I'm going to win. Somehow I'm not going to be a schmuck anymore. And then Donald Trump looks like, yeah, yeah, that guy is rich and he gets a lot of pussy. And he, people listen to him and they respect him. He doesn't take any bullshit and he calls... He calls a spade a spade, to use a horrible, mm. you know, horrible. Un unfortunate, uh, mm. you know, example. Mm. I, I, I cannot, you know, there's no other rational reason I can understand except that people believe that politics is evil and bad. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, Obama saying, well, let me ask you something. If you needed heart surgery, you found out you needed a bypass, mm -hmm. do you want a guy who's done 150 bypasses or do you want to, or 200 or 1,000 or a guy mm -hmm. says, wait a second. You guys are doing bypasses all wrong. I know how to do bypasses. Let me show you the way they ought to be done. In other words, you understand what I mean by that. It's the same like somebody says, "Oh, you know, people who do this operation, uh, we don't, we shouldn't listen. To them. They're corrupt." I have a new idea. Mm -hmm. You want a guy flying your plane? You want the guy that's made ten thousand trips? You want a guy that? Wait a second! You guys are flying the plane all wrong. You're, you're pilots. You're 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 in the swamp. Let me show you how to fly a plane. That's who Donald Trump is. The but why? But why? Why is anybody listening to him? And why does nothing stick? Why does he get away with everything? Well, because no matter what, I, and Charles Blow wrote a great article mm -hmm. about this, and a very depressing but very wise article in the paper the other day, mm -hmm. saying even if it turns out, even if it turns out. The newspaper is something that people used to hold in their hand and read. <laughs> it's great for hitting bugs. You can't do that with an iPad. You can't. Right? Um, he, what he was saying was, even if it turns out that the Mueller investigation or mm -hmm. somebody else proves mm -hmm. that Trump was responsible for absolute collusion, mm -hmm. I mean, personally mm -hmm. responsible, his base will not desert him because they don't care. They yeah. don't care. Yeah. In spite of the fact that that's a treasonable, hangable offense mm -hmm. in American law, mm -hmm. they don't care. Mm -hmm. 
What they care about is he doesn't take any shit from anybody. That's what. That's why they think he's not meaning. You know, he doesn't bother to to use words that have to send anybody to the dictionary. He doesn't care about that. <laughs> well, he doesn't know what those words are. Well, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he and he and he doesn't care that he doesn't know what they no, are. He does not. He he when he refers to himself as being of high intelligence, it's like when you pass a restaurant on the street that says quality food shop. <laughs> Coffee. Yeah, quote Best cup of coffee, yeah. You know there's something <laughs> smelly about it inherently. <laughs> but uh, I, I think people are, a certain class of people, mm -hmm. are so completely, um, feel so completely left behind by all the progress of recent years. Listen. So wait, so how, how, oh, let me say, how let, do we, re okay, finish your thought and then I'll... When I'll... I was a child, okay. and I guess when you were a child, although I'm probably quite a bit older than you. No, I'm... But, I'm 63. I'm older than you. Well, I wish I looked, I don't wish I looked like you, but I wish I looked as good as you. Thank you. Anyway, um, okay. So when I was a kid and when you were a kid, mm -hmm. if you were a union auto worker, for mm -hmm. example, or mm -hmm. you worked in a public school, mm -hmm. you, uh, you could be a one person, one working person family. Mm -hmm. You could have a. Oh yeah, hell. You could have a nice. Mm -hmm. I don't mean anything, you know. Middle class. You could you be could middle class. Live, live quite comfortably on mm -hmm. one income. You could have two cars. Mm -hmm. My parents, my mother never worked until my father lost his job. We had a house in Fire Island. We had a very nice apartment. Okay, in New what York. did your father do? He was a television producer. Okay, so now that's not a normal job. No, but 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 but. And, and I saw some of the shows that your father. Produced and he, and he, he never made more than thirty thousand dollars in his life. But thirty thousand dollars in those days was yeah, a lot good. of money. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. But mm -hmm. you could, on the salary that one person made as an auto worker, for example, mm -hmm. live pretty well. Mm -hmm. Pretty well. Mm -hmm. You could surely have two cars. You could go out to eat. You could go to movies. You, you could have two cars. You, yes. You could, I mean, okay. they weren't necessarily new cars. They weren't okay. necessarily fancy cars. Okay. You could live okay. Mm -hmm. Nowadays. Mm -hmm. Even if you have two people working, and you're working in those same kinds of industries you that don't require too much education, uh, if you're a factory worker, if you work in the clothing, well, hardly anybody in America works in the clothing business. Mm -hmm. You have to be in India or, mm -hmm. or diet. Right. Or, anyway, uh, those industries we used to have here, building mm -hmm. televisions, mm -hmm. clothing, mm -hmm. uh, all gone. Mm -hmm. So if you're a humbly educated person, a person without a lot of a great deal of education, mm -hmm. uh, you're struggling to survive. I'm sorry, but every overeducated person I know, myself included, is struggling to survive. Well, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. But what I meant Not is, that I'm so if, smart, if your particular education mm -hmm. didn't happen to be one that's a track towards employment, right? You know, if whatever. Which now, what what is that? What does that even mean anymore? Well, when I was young and mm -hmm. when you were young, mm -hmm. if you had a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. A bachelor's degree, mm -hmm. you were relatively assured of being employable. You didn't necessarily. Our parents, not us. No, we were kids. Right, so right. Our well, we were, generation. right. Our parents' generation. Yeah, if, Correct, you, right. if you had a college degree, right. you, somewhere in the working world, you could find a job that was a pretty good job. Even if you didn't have a college degree, people could find jobs. People had jobs. Yeah. People had jobs. People worked. Everybody, all of my friends, I don't remember any of my friends having parents who were unemployed when I was a kid. So the reason that's important is, mm -hmm. for quite a while now, that mm -hmm. has not been true. It has not been true. And there's a lot of people, mm -hmm. especially who live in parts of the country mm -hmm. where there used to be plentiful jobs mm -hmm. in industries that are no longer supported, mm -hmm. that are now out of luck. Mm -hmm. and, and it's bad. And they see 
other people getting what they think of as public assistance mm -hmm. other than them. Mm. And that makes them angry. Mm. And they feel a kind of anger and a kind of hopelessness about it. Mm. And they blame, instead of blaming the people who are actually to blame, mm -hmm. who are all the really moneyed people, the big moneyed people who have moved industries out of the United States in order to make more money, mm -hmm. you know, um, they blame unions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, you know, the very people set up to help them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that that is my you know verbose answer as to why. Well, I know that that's like good and Donald important, Trump. and I, I I could talk about oh, I could keep going on with this with, but we have to talk about Fred. So Sorry. we we have to talk about Fred because that's that's why we're here. So but, but this is fascinating conversation. So so Fred, so New Yorker, born in New York. Born in New York. Born, born in, in York. Queens, nineteen fifty six. Where in Queens? Uh, Jackson Heights. Okay, uh, so Dr. I went in, I went to to Newtown. Well, I did not stay there. I yeah. was adopted. Okay. And my mother, I was born in what was used to be called Jack's, uh, Doctor's Hospital in Jackson Heights. Mm -hmm. But I was adopted when I was two days old. Oh. Very young. Mm -hmm. And my parents lived in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I was raised in Manhattan. And you went to Smarty Pants School. Hunter? Yes. yes. Hunter is a Smarty Pants School. I went to, uh, you yeah, know, I, I showed them. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Test well, that was the end of it. Okay, so now, yeah. when what, what was the first thing you wanted to be when you grew up? For a long time. Well, wait, you're in a show business family because your father's right. a producer. My dad was a TV producer. And and he, I know about Bilko. What, what else did your dad? He worked with a guy uh, called Nat Hyken, mm -hmm. who was kind of a pioneer in early television. He had a show called Car 54, oh, Are You? Oh, God, I love Car 54. That was my dad's show. Oh, right. God. Tootie yeah. Maldon. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Uh, he worked on a show called Let's Pretend. That, okay, uh, all, all right. I just want to I want to give a shout out to Drew Nepor Neporent. His mother is Sybil Trent. Sybil Trent was a casting director, lovely woman. Passed away f some years ago, but absolutely lovely woman. Good friends with my dad. And Drew is one of my very best friends, and he had surgery last week. I spoke to him yesterday, ah. and his mom was is Sybil Trent. Hope you're feeling good, Drew. You, I, 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 I haven't been to any of your restaurants in a long time because oh. I live here, but. I don't know if he has restaurants here, but... He doesn't have restaurants here. He has all... Back in New York, they were great. Nobu, Montrachet... Well, Montrachet is not Montrachet anymore. It's, is it Cortone's? I can never remember what, what the latest one is, but Tribeca Grill, where he employs my daughter. Oh, really? Um, yes. Huh. Um, Samantha High, who we're going to talk about because she wants to follow in your very footsteps of... You know, mentioning big restaurants. And so, mentioning big restaurants. <laughs> um, but, okay, so, hi, Drew, I love you. Um, so, did you ever, did you ever, did Sybil ever send you out? She hired me many times. Look at that. Look. She was wonderful. Oh. A very bright, funny, interesting person. So she started on Let's Pretend, which was your father's show. Right. So did she know that when you went, well, obviously she knew that. When you went before her, she knew that yes. your father was yeah, her. Yeah, she knew who my father was. Ah, little nepotism never hurt anybody. <laughs> it, it, it couldn't hurt, like you Could, said. Couldn't hurt. Right. Okay, so, so your dad had these shows, so did you, was show business what you... I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it, but I was surrounded with it. We also had a house in Flower Island, mm. all of time since I was born. Mm. And that, my parents were had a kind of a crowd, a bunch of friends that they mm. were very tight with. Mm -hmm. uh, one were of they them, drinkers? Uh, yeah, Social drinkers? Yeah, yeah. But not drunks? No. The Jews can't be drunks. That's kind well, of they, they can be. Well, I, I discovered once I got sober that a lot of Jews are drunks, but they hide it really well. Yeah, they, they. My parents liked to drink, but they. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say they were anything mm -hmm. uh, near alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, I. But they were not particularly uh, avid eaters, though. But I always had that, and, and mm. you know, I was. But I. But but 
as I was adopted, physiologically, I'm not related to them anyway. Right. Anyway, so I grew up... So eating is not a, um, what's the word, an environmental issue, because I have that issue. Well, it's kind of an, an environmental issue for everybody. Uh, and my sister, who is mm -hmm. their biological child, has mm -hmm. had some issues around that. Ah, there you although, go. Although opposite from mine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so I, we always had a lot of friends in show business. My friend, my father had a lot of friends who were actors, directors. Mm -hmm. One of his closest friends was a, a very well uh, esteemed announcer called Ken Roberts. Ken Roberts was, was the father of Tony Roberts, the actor. Oh, uh huh. Uh, and we, I they, saw him in many Woody Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to, too. Yeah, my first experience mm -hmm. with Woody was I went, my father took me to see um, uh, Play It Against Sam. Don't, don't even! Because my father took me to see Play It Against Sam. Front row, Tony Robbins, um, Diane Keaton. Um, Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts, um, Woody. Right. Who spit on me the whole thing. Jerry Lacey playing. Jerry Lacey playing Humphrey Bogart. Right. That, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was like 13, 12 or 13. Yeah, me too. Age, so, me yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. So I remember going backstage. <gasps> you got to go backstage. Well, I was good. My father, I, Tony Roberts and I were friends. Tony Roberts is older than I, but we're close, good friends. Uh, and we I went get to go backstage. backstage and I got to meet Woody and everything. And then, of course, you know... Is that, is that what sparked you getting roles in seven Woody Allen movies? I don't think so. Because <laughs> that was so much later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that was just a, a, one of those things. I, I, when I graduated from drama school, I got out of drama school in 1981, mm -hmm. and they have a big audition. They had a big centralized audition when you got out of school. Oh, the, the, the yeah. Um, Yale had... Right, Yale, Yale and Carnegie. He and, went to Yale drama. Yale grad school. Yeah. We'll talk about that. 14 kids in this class. 14, not kids. 14 Well, they were actors. kids. We were kids. Who, who else was in your class? Because there's a steamed in every class from Yale. Who was in your class? Uh, well, uh, David Allen Greer. Hey. Uh, a wonderful actor who's recently passed away. A good mm -hmm. friend of mine, a guy called Reggie Cathy. Mm -hmm. he, was, uh, he won an Emmy for being on, um, uh, oh God, uh, House of Cards. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, my my class did not produce as many luminaries as some other classes. Some classes have been pretty extraordinary. Well, the class below mine, yeah. the class below mine and the class below that produced, uh, so all the time that I was there, mm -hmm. produced John Turturro and Fran McDormand mm -hmm. and Rock Dutton mm -hmm. and a million, uh, 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 Angel, uh, uh, tons and tons of famous actors. Anyway. Did... Francis McDormand, did that have anything to do with your Coen Brothers Association? I suspect so. Oh, nice. I suspect See so. See what happens when you go to a good school? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, do you want to tell you the story of that? Yeah. Okay. This is a long story, but I'll try and... As you okay, wait. Wait, wait, you gonna, wait. Are you going to tell me the Coen Brothers story? Because now we... All right, well, I have to remember to come back to this, but give me this... So what, was it, what were we talking about? We were talking about what you wanted to be when you grew up in oh, the yeah. show business world right. was calling. Okay. right. So I wasn't sure that I wanted to be in show business, but show business was familiar to me. Right. My father took me to the set of Car 54, and Aww. you know, I, I kind of knew what it felt like. Fred Gwynn. Uh, yeah. Um, I loved cartoons when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and for a while I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to be a, a director of animation, like Chuck Jones, you know. Okay. And then, for most of my uh, adolescence, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer, mm -hmm. uh, but I always acted in plays in high school. And okay, so do you remember school. your first play? My very first play was at Hunter. I was in fifth grade. Yes. 
Uh, it was a play written by the class oh. about the Western expansion of the United States, Conestoga wagons and all that. They were smarty pants. Do you remember what your first line, what your line was? Do you remember a line? I don't remember my lines. Oh, see. I probably didn't remember them that night either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember my lines, okay. but I played the father of the family mm -hmm. who goes off to get to, to I don't know get some food porridge for some mm -hmm. food or something, mm -hmm. and then gets you know attacked by a bear and then but finally comes back towards the end, and there's a great happy reunion. Nice. Yeah. And and did you have stars in your eyes from that first experience? Well, it made me realize that the feeling, I, I got a feeling from it of being loved mm -hmm. uh, that I think uh, I never got a, 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 in my everyday life. Applause is really powerful. It wasn't even applause. Uh -huh. It was it was something else. It mm -hmm. was, um, well, it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think, you know, there's got to be something a little bit strange about you if you need strangers to make you feel like you're okay, which is what all actors what? do. Strange or we didn't get it. Yeah. And so we look for it wherever we can find it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's, I think there's, I mean, I know that's a bromide, but I think there's truth to it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I had a... Although I love my parents and they love me, I did not, I had a difficult childhood, mm -hmm. what I would call a difficult childhood. Can you give us an example of what that looked like? Well, I had a great deal of trouble with my mother, mm -hmm. particularly. Uh, my mother was, um, both my parents are gone mm -hmm. now. Uh, my mother was um, a person of volcanic emotions, ah. very powerful mm -hmm. emotions, and a kind of narcissistic view of the world where she kind of couldn't tell the difference between what was good for her and what was good for anybody else. So mm. if something made her happy, she felt as though that must make everybody happy. Mm. And I think she, she approached having children, as people do, it's not mm -hmm. so unusual, uh, to feel okay about herself. Mm -hmm. And I think she wanted to have children for a long time. My parents were married for 10 years, unable to have children. Mm. Which is why they adopt, although they, is your sister older, younger? Younger. As often happens. As soon as they adopted you, they well, had it took six years, but it didn't take long. Okay. You know, that, that's a very frequent thing yeah. with adoption. Mm -hmm. So I think when my mother realized, my mother was very uh, sort of consuming about things mm -hmm. and like a force of nature mm -hmm. and had very strong ideas about how everything should be and was quick to point out uh, your failings for your divergences from whatever she thought was the right way or the way uh, uh, and everything. Also, my parents were very, my mother's a very beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. My father was good looking too. Mm -hmm. And I always felt a little disappointing in that realm. Mm. And I felt like uh, they were very kind of looks oriented, mm -hmm. very oriented towards appearances mm -hmm. and, and not just, uh, not just uh, handsomeness or beauty, but uh, the appearance that they, that you are thriving, that things are good, that, that right. you know you don't you don't voice certain kinds of complaints, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So, uh, I think um, when uh, I when it turned out that I was not so happy with certain um, forces at work in my childhood, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think that was a bitter pill for my mother to swallow, mm -hmm. and I had to. She was so powerful and so consuming in her style. Mm -hmm that I had to extract myself from her embrace mm -hmm. at an age when I was very unprepared. I was, I'm talking about, you know, like two years old or one year old. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm prepared to be a, an autonomous person, mm -hmm. but I didn't have any choice. I felt I was going to be steamroller. Do you have memory of being? I can remember certain events that uh, kind of characterize that that, mm -hmm. that feeling, and I had to kind of go, go off on my own mm -hmm. in, a, in a way, mm -hmm. which I think. To be honest, and I think I should be honest about this, mm -hmm. I think that's had, that whole thing has had a very profound effect on my life. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a part of me mm -hmm. that uh, remains lonely. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that uh, yearns to have the kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, unity, the kind of limitless, boundaryless unity with another person. Mm -hmm. That I experienced for some part of my child, but but the childhood, but then I had to flee. Mm -hmm. Did you have it when you were? Was she that way? When I was very young, mm -hmm. but I think I realized, I intuited or mm -hmm. understood mm -hmm. that I that if I kept within that embrace, mm -hmm. uh, I was going to be overpowered, and that her ability to discriminate between what was good for me and what was good for her mm -hmm. was too threatening to let. Stand. That's amazing that you had that intuitive ability. Well, I'm giving it fancy words now, but yeah. you know, I, this is a kind of pre-verbal thing. You uh -huh. know? She was just so, so big with mm -hmm. everything. You mm -hmm. know? So I think I kind of got myself out of there, and I think she resented that. And I mm -hmm. experienced, I, I expressed a preference for my father often, mm -hmm. which I think mm -hmm. she was found very painful. Mm -hmm. And we fought all the time that I grew up. All the time. Was she proud of you? I mean, you... you are smarty pants. Was she proud of that? Uh, it's funny. I mean, my wife described, my wife knew my parents well. Mm -hmm. um, she always remarks how they, my parents used to kind of brag to everybody about me, except not to me. Yeah, well, that's a common, that's a common, I, I don't know if that's true of only Judy, Jewish parents, but that's a very common thing. I kept thinking, mm -hmm. that's funny, I, I, I remember various things in my life thinking, well, this is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got into Yale, which for me was, you know, this, this, this is 1978, it's 40 years ago, mm -hmm. I was getting out of college. Big, in my life, big, huge deal, right? It's a huge deal at any time of life. Okay, but uh, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. So for me, you know, especially wanting to be an actor and mm -hmm. I come from a showbiz background mm -hmm. and all that, I was so excited. You and know. 14 students in your class. Right. 14 people got accepted. Right. 14. So, and you know, I was super excited about it. And of course, of course I got the letter and mm -hmm. I called my parents up and they were like, you know, they were nice about it, but it wasn't like, it was like, oh yeah, that's great. And then, you know, years later, I got my first Broadway play. I was not much older. I was only 20. Was this Amadeus? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. I was only 25 or six. I can't remember. Wow. I was young, a kid. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. Broadway. And my parents, when I was a kid, took me to Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. You know, I can remember seeing, God, you know, Carousel and Camelot and mm -hmm. Oliver and all these. Yeah, yeah. Davy Jones. Oh, yes. The original Arthur Dodger. Dodger. Great. <laughs> anyway, I thought, well, this is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. And that, that the same thing, you know, well, mm -hmm. that was you know, terrific, great. But it was like not, you know, it didn't make them happy like I thought it was going to make them happy. And then, you know, I got married. Mm -hmm. And it was much later. I was much older. I didn't get married until 42. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was much older. Yeah. You know, many First things marriage? Happened. Yes, first mm -hmm. and only. First okay. and only. Good, only, good, only. good, good. So I thought, you know, okay, great. Well, that was not, that was not. And, and then, and then. Grandchildren. When I was 40. 
six or seven, or you're not young anymore, mm -hmm. and they were old already? Grandchildren, right? Now, I don't care if you're Jewish, Italian, Hispanic, whatever you are. Grandchildren's a good if, thing. If grandchildren doesn't do it, <laughs> an atom bomb will not do it. Did grandchildren do it? No. Why? I mean, they like them. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the thing, that, and, and you know, mm -hmm. one time, I, wow. Well, listen, I, I I remember being with my wife, uh -huh. and uh, my my parents had called me. It was my birthday, and they had called me a day or two before. But uh -huh. on my actual birthday, I didn't talk to them, and there was no card, there was no nothing. And I said to my wife, "Listen, am I being like hypersensitive? I mean, is it weird? I mean, I'm like forty, whatever. I was forty five, whatever. I'm like, am I? Isn't it?" Shouldn't they like just call or something? <laughs> and she said, "Don't you get it?" She said, "Don't you understand?" I, you know, she said they have you on this string. You, you, you just paid for their kitchen. They did their whole new kitchen. I was making a lot of money at the time. Mm -hmm. I was starring voiceovers. Mm -hmm. and, you know, she said, "You, you know, you, you, you jump like when they when they call. You're like, yeah, what can I do?" And suddenly I realized, right, right. And she said wisely. Their unhappiness is not to do with you. Mm -hmm. It's to do with their own Absolutely. lives. Mm -hmm. So that means you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. No matter how... I'm in that program too. <laughs> yeah. No matter what you do, no matter how mm -hmm. smart you are, no matter what you accolades you get, you're not going to fix it because that's them. Mm -hmm. It's not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. I thought my life's work was making life a winnable proposition mm -hmm. for my family, especially my father. Mm -hmm. did, 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 did your father ever acknowledge your success? Did he ever... I mean, they say in the program it's like going to the hardware store for milk. Did, did he ever give you the pat on the back? Not in the, not in the way that uh, I... Did they live to see a serious man? No. But she, he, she mm -hmm. did, but he did not. Mm -hmm. I wish he had. Mm -hmm. Because the whole... Last ten years, mm -hmm. he died about uh, thirteen, fourteen years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the whole last ten years, mm -hmm. you know, I got this unbelievable kind of second act to my career, right. which is uh, not only am I extremely grateful for mm -hmm. it; it's very unusual to happen to a person, right. you know, in this time of life. Mm -hmm. So I really do wish that uh, he had gotten to see that. She lived to see a good part of it. And did that mean anything to her? Um. I think she was pleased by it. Uh, by that time, I had kind of stopped playing along. Mm -hmm. So she was resentful about that, and she was resentful mm -hmm. of my wife and certain other things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think she still held, she still had a lot of love for me in her. In it. The kind of the saddest thing about this all, and I think this is true of a lot of people, was she definitely loved me. She was in not, her fashion. In her way. Mm -hmm. In her way. I think she would have done anything in her power mm -hmm. to have been a good mother. I just don't think she that had the was goals. her. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but she did get to see, uh, you know, some of the latter years of success. And she died not very long after we moved to California, which is six years ago. Mm -hmm. And she did, I remember her saying to me, you know, I was concerned because I knew she was ill when mm -hmm. we moved. She said, oh, California's going to be good for you. It's going to be a good thing. So she, 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 she was... That's huge. It was a big thing. That's huge because it had nothing to do with her. Right. Wow. Okay. So that for a narcissist, that was a big step. Right. And mm -hmm. and I and she was, you know, I I may be giving this impression. Of her. She also was very very. She was full of life. Mm -hmm. 
and she was full of unbelievable style. She mm. was she. I mean, she was fantastic. With her taste was magnificent. Mm -hmm. She was funny. Mm -hmm. She was a real big person and everything. Mm -hmm. Not I mean physically, but big right, right. in her personality. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot, a lot, and a lot good. Mm -hmm. But not the kind of good for a parent. Yeah. If you know I what get I mean. it. I totally get it. So I don't want to give too much of a impression of her as being, you know. No, no, no. I, I, I think you're being. I, I, I think you're being fair, um, because you're not blaming her. She, she wasn't equipped. She wasn't equipped to do it. Yeah, and also I think you know I might have needed certain things because of who I was, the way I was, mm -hmm. and you know you don't always mm -hmm. get a good uh, fit. But mm -hmm. I, you know, I, to me, um, both my wife and and and. And, and I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, we feel like we really, it's really important to us to, to, to be good parents. Okay, them. this was going to be my next question because I find that I went the other way with my, like I became a full-time, I was determined, I was going to be home, I was going to be a full-time mom, my kids became everything to me. Mm -hmm. When my daughter got into college, it you know, I literally, with the jumping up and down and crying and care and all the things, right? And it's that overcome, it, it's not even overcome, it's genuine, right? It's, right. it's genuine joy, thrilling, you know, all of that. It's, could our children be any more important to us than they are? The problem is, at least from my perspective, mm -hmm. is it's fine, it's good to be that way, but, but mm -hmm. you also have to let them be who they are, which not is, not, is not always... Easy. easy. It's not easy. But my daughter's in New York, and hi, Samantha. And so she, hi, she gets she gets to live her whole thing, and I don't get to know. You know, it took me like two years to find out there's a fake idea. You know, all that kind of stuff that you know. If she was living under, you know, when I was when I was 16, I got on a plane. I I worked in a ski shop in Queens. I I got on a plane and I went to L.A. at 16 from New York, and told my mother I was going to visit my father's girlfriend. She never picked up the phone and checked. I went to my boyfriend's house. I went to see my boyfriend. I was 16. My kids didn't get out of the house to go across the street without me knowing where they were going. I mean, you know, it's well, like... It's also, it's a, it's a different, it it's a, a total different it, time. It is a different time. I, and I find it shocking. Now, this, I'm not saying anything very new or sage. I couldn't wait. Now, my family kind of fell on hard times and we moved to Florida. Poor, poor you guys. Shitty Florida. Oh, okay. shitty what, Florida. what shitty Florida? Hollywood, Florida. Really okay. dumb. Uh, yeah. And when, <laughs> it, it, my father lost his job, mm. and he, he tried to work in real estate, didn't work out. Anyway, we moved to Florida, mm -hmm. and um, how old were you? Sixteen. I was the same age that my kids are now. So you left Hunter. Hunter only went to sixth grade. At the time, Hunter was no boys after oh, sixth grade. But they have Hunter High School now. They didn't have Hunter High School now. They did, but it's girls only. Not anymore. No, I believe now it's... Yeah, it's, no, no, I know kids that have gone. It's, yeah. it's co-ed, yeah. Now, at the time, mm -hmm. uh, at sixth grade, if you were a boy, you had to go elsewhere. So I went to Riverdale. Aha. Uh -huh. In the Bronx. Oh, yeah, okay. Also a good school. I went to Riverdale for uh, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th mm -hmm. grade. And then 11th grade, we moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. Why did I start to tell you that? I can't remember. Um, because you felt they fell on hard times. We were talking about uh, our kids, different times. Oh, yes. So... I couldn't wait mm -hmm. to learn how to drive. I mean, mm -hmm. in Florida, like California, mm -hmm. and but even for some of my friends in New York, driving 
was a real representation of free. Right. I mean, you can, there's public transportation in New York. You can take the subway or the bus or whatever. Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. But if you live in California or mm -hmm. Florida, you know, there's no way to get anywhere. I mean, people do, but it's Jeff Garland, hi, but it's very difficult to do. Jeff Garland? Yeah, he wrote a book about taking public transportation. Jeff Garland is my friend, but I okay. think he was forced to take public transportation because he, he got <laughs> he into was, a fight but, with a lady in right, the bathroom. But, right, but then he wrote a book about that, that whole about that whole experience of, yeah. Well, um, I think if But there's Ed Bagley. Yeah, I mean, there are people who... Well, that's because that, yeah. he's an environmentalist. Also, my friend, that's yeah. because he's a big Mine's environmentalist. Yes, yes, he is. So, and he rides his bike everywhere. Yes, he does. So without the bike, he'd be in trouble. Oh, but there are people that take public transportation. I mean, Jeff did the bus because he had to. But then, I mean, there, it can be done. People will are, will get mad at us because there is a, there you is a subway. So there is you a can there do is it. A, but, a, but if a you're in New York, system. it's a lot easier than it is so in, in LA. So much easier. It's a, you have to be going to certain specific places within LA. Yes, you do. But my point in saying all this is, mm -hmm. I couldn't wait to learn how to drive. I right. could not wait to learn mm -hmm. how to drive. And the summer that we moved to Florida, mm -hmm. I went. I took driver's ed, and I and by that the end of that summer, I knew how to drive. Mm -hmm. My son, you know is kind of interested, mm -hmm. but a lot of his friends are not interested even a little bit. Right. My the, son learned late. The, 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 the way kids socialize today, sorry for being such a bore, you know, everybody says the same thing, but they socialize in this strange way where everybody's sitting in their own room connected via these, uh, you know. Devices. Devices. Right. Um, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. Totally different. It is. So there's not this great need to be, to be on your own. In the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Because we're all in the world all the time on here. Mm -hmm. But that's that's different than it's being horrible. out in the world. It's horrible. I don't think it's horrible, but I think if you're just learning about the world, you should have a little you have to have a little contact with it. I'm yeah. 60 years old. I'm 63 years old. I spend too much time. This is, this is too much of my world, and I'm not out in the world nearly as much. When I was a kid, were we ever inside? We were never inside. Well, that's true, but also, I, I, I mean, I also think that, I mean, I remember we used to, all summer, we would go, we didn't lock our doors, we would, mm -hmm. you could go, and there was no cars in Fire Island, so therefore you could just walk around without worrying about anything. Right. And I would just play until it got dark right. every day with mm -hmm. my friends. Sure. Um, I don't think anybody does that anymore. In, in, mm -hmm. I don't think. I don't know. No. I, I, kids don't play outside anymore. Everything is this. Everything mm -hmm. is a device. Nobody plays outside. There yeah. is no playing outside. Well, you know what? Something that surprised me about California, about, about Los Angeles, is um, there are some nice parks. Mm -hmm. but, but considering the fact that everybody lives in a group, sort of a sprawl, mm -hmm. I'm surprised there aren't more parks and more really nice parks mm -hmm. um, true. than there are in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's so many. Like uh, Parks <laughs> only have a per here. Parks only serve a purpose to, for little league, for yeah. soccer. That's the only yeah, reason people. Fields. That's the only reason people. People don't go to parks like they like we went to Central Park right. to hang out. Exactly. And well, I don't think kids hang out. In they the don't hang out. When I, every Why day, don't you hang out? <laughs> What's wrong with you? What's it's so nice you? out there. <laughs> I I and you know how do how do they socially like how do you I was so anxious to be with girls. Mm -hmm. Physically, personally, right? right. What the? I mean, <laughs> that's mystery. Because now there's Tinder and Bumble and all of these ways to do all of that. Yeah, but, the, but you're not doing anything. It's, you're not it's doing the preparation, it. isn't it, it? It's the preparation, and then you can even match. Like I'm on all of those cockamamie things, and then you match with people, and then you you're still. On, you're on Tinder. Of course I am. I'm writing a screenplay about it with a failed Tinder romantic partner, and. Uh, 
but you people even on them who connect don't connect. It's like it becomes a texting thing. They don't you don't meet in real life, and if you do, then you go, get ghosted. It's it's like this whole other. There's real life doesn't really exist anymore. So it just very little of this happens, and it's very sad. Yeah, well, it's definitely a different world. I mean, we I, we kind of can't you know you can't go back. It's the way. It, it, all right, so we we could talk about this all night. We we have to get back to Fred. So. When was the decision made, I'm going to be an actor? It wasn't really made. What happened was, I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I was going at Riverdale. Mm -hmm. And I had a bunch of friends that liked to do plays. One of my friends directed plays for mm -hmm. fun. He was into Dylan Thomas, and he did Under Milkwood and a bunch nice. of other And another friend of mine uh, used to write his own little plays, mm -hmm. little crazy sick plays, mm -hmm. and put his friends in them. Nice. And so I would act in these plays. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it, but I never thought of doing it as a profession. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I get to college, where did you go to undergraduate? I went to Hampshire College, Hippie okay. College. And so, what was the why there, and what was your major? Well, Hampshire was kind of like a very, very free form. It was there was no no grades, isn't it? Like a not no only grades? no grades, no no required courses. Uh, I no, think it, my stepbrother went there. Okay, yeah. They you had to complete what they called exams, which are kind of like like uh, tutored projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you do a kind of a thesis project. How'd your parents feel about that? They were okay about it. They wow. were okay about it. Okay. They, were, they were rather, I mean, I, I, I applied to Yale as an undergraduate. I didn't get into Yale. Mm -hmm. uh, I got into a, a bunch of other schools, but Hampshire was the most interesting. And I had some friends mm -hmm. that were very bright that had gone to Hampshire, that okay. I got to high school with. Mm -hmm. And this one particular friend of mine, Andy Shea, mm -hmm. who I, whose plays I acted in, had mm -hmm. gone on to Hampshire and, did, and loved it. Mm -hmm. So I went to Hampshire. And as soon as I got there, the first year, he was doing these plays again mm -hmm. with his friends, his, with videos and you know, very unusual kind of avant-garde, mm -hmm. crazy little things. So he said to me, "Listen, I'm doing the play, you know, like come try." So I did. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like something fun to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> people saw me in the plays, and other people asked me to be in their plays. Mm -hmm. So it was not. I, it wasn't a decision. I made. What was your course of study when you first got there? Well, I didn't... You didn't I, need one at the Well, I, I mean, I, I was interested... I was always interested in, in writing, mm -hmm. in literature. Oh, right. Uh-huh. So I took a Shakespeare course. Mm -hmm. I took a course... I, I took a playwriting course with Jean-Claude Bonatale, the great playwright. So this all was bleeding over. Yeah. Yeah. And I was interested in physics. I always thought physics was fascinating, but my math was too weak to really support, uh, you know, a real... Uh, cosmology. There's a very interesting element of that mysterious man. That yes. Whole, uh, Schrodinger, that mm -hmm. whole interesting. Um, but that has always been fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. But as I say, my math skills were just too weak to mm -hmm. really support that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I studied, and I studied photography. Mm -hmm. um, and but I kept doing these plays. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, and they, you know, they let you alone, Hampshire. You could you could spend your entire four, five, ten years there just doing mm -hmm. plays. Okay. So, uh, but then if you want to graduate, you have mm -hmm. to sort of organize them into a thesis. Okay. So I did that. Mm -hmm. And I began to really like it. And then the last year that I was there, mm -hmm. two women who had a company called Shakespeare and Company, or were planning a company called Shakespeare and Company, one of them was Tina Packer, the other was Kristen Linklater, the mm -hmm. famous uh, voice theorist. Mm -hmm. uh, Tina Packer had been a Royal Shakespeare Company actress. So they came in residence at Smith, which mm -hmm. is one of the five colleges that Hampshire is a consortium of, right. part of. Mm -hmm. So I met them. Mm -hmm. And they put me in some plays that they directed, mm -hmm. and I was fascinated uh, 
by their approach, which was different than mm -hmm. what I had known. Mm -hmm. And then I thought for serious that I, maybe maybe this was something that I really wanted to do as a as a life. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until I was my last year of college. Mm -hmm. So now, uh, so you got into Yale, uh, and I'm curious because Samantha's uh, would love to follow that path. Uh, was Yale what we was it? all it's cracked up to be? Was it a thrilling experience for you? Um, it was mixed. Okay. It was mixed. How so? Uh, there were people there that were terrific. Mm -hmm. Many of whom were students, by the way, mm -hmm. rather than faculty members. Mm -hmm. uh, there were some faculty members who were not, uh, there were some wonderful ones, mm -hmm. some who were not uh, up to what you might have expected or what I expected. Did you do the the Yale repertory? Did, we, did you? I was in the Yale rep. Uh -huh. um, but that just happened uh, there was a kind of a, a, a serendipity to that. Mm -hmm. um, I did a play. The, the, there's a, something called the Yale Cabaret, which is a student-run. Oliver Platt's the one I was trying to think of. Yes. He applied a few times before he got in. Ah. Or maybe he didn't, but then he came back and he ended up he, he ended up going somewhere else. But he came back and he got into Yale Rep, and he had a bigger part than the people that were in Yale. That that was the story that he told me. Something like that. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So the rep was a professional theater right. that had most of professional actors in it, but sometimes students took roles in it. So the first year that I was there, mm -hmm. I did a play at the Cabaret, mm -hmm. uh, which is a whole student-run kind of crazy freak-out thing. And it so happened that Robert Brustein, who was the dean of the drama school when I came there, mm -hmm. happened to see this play. I mean, he didn't see every play, but he happened to see this particular one, and he liked me in it. Mm -hmm. So he suggested to the director of this play that was on at the Rep, a guy called Keith Hack, it was Mahagoni, the, the Breck Vile mm. play, mm -hmm. suggested to Keith Hack that he cast me. So me and David Greer, David Al David, who was then known as David Greer, not David Allen Greer, right. um, cast the two of us in that play. Mm. So we were the only first year students that were oh, cast. Oh wow, oh first year, yeah. no less. Yeah, that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I got to be in the Yale Rep, I did a bunch of other plays there. Um, and then and then you went on. I know stage for a matter. You did the Guthrie. You 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 had a lot. Did you think you were going to have a career in theater? Was that your goal? Well, we weren't trained for anything else. Yeah. Um, I think everybody. No film courses at all. None. None. Wow. The thinking was, I think, that probably incorrect. Mer Meryl Streep. Yeah. Look what she did with that. Well, Meryl Streep was a was a very highly regarded theater actress mm -hmm. before she was in movies. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I think the thinking was. That uh, if you were if you were competent as a stage actor, you would have no trouble uh, adapting it to movies. I don't think that's true, by the way. It's a very different medium, isn't it? Yes, mm -hmm. extremely different, mm -hmm. and one that I never liked. <laughs> people find that because some people find that shocking that I say that. Um, you I didn't would, like theater? No, don't like it. Okay, I, wow, I, I, wow. I, I, that may be too strong to say. I don't like it. If the play is great, uh, I can appreciate it. Okay. But I don't have the kind of love for it that oh, a lot wow. of my friends and yeah. colleagues do. So why would you choose Yale? Well, um, because I wanted to get trained. The best. Yeah. 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 And by the way, I didn't realize that until much later that I didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> well, and Okay, so... so you did a lot of regional theater. How? Not a lot. Well, you did some. How? How did you make that transition to Broadway? How'd you get? How'd you get Amadeus? How did that happen? I did. A, when I got out of Yale, mm -hmm. uh, which was 1981, mm -hmm. I got hired before the end of the school year to do uh, a season at the Guthrie. 
Nice. They, did they come and scout? Is that how that happened? No, there was this big centralized audition. Oh, all the auditions. Uh -huh. So Richard Foreman, the, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Richard Foreman, mm -hmm. the director, playwright, kind of avant-garde, interesting guy, mm -hmm. was doing a couple of plays mm -hmm. at uh, the Guthrie that year. Mm -hmm. So he saw me and cast me mm -hmm. in this play, um, a Moliere play, uh, and I went to do that, and then I was in The Tempest and a couple of other shows there, too. Mm -hmm. So I spent a year there, and then I came back to New York, and when I was in New York, um, I got a job on a soap opera. I got a job on One Life to Live. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I used to watch One Life to Live. Who were you? I was Alberto Cervantes. Who, who was, uh, I, I, was, I wasn't watching it after college already, so uh, but, yeah, that's why I don't remember. I would know you then. Yeah, you would. So Wait, was Teo Payless on One Life to Live? Not that bad. show? Okay. Because uh, he's going to be on us on here next week, Teo. So I got a job on One Life to Live, which lasted yeah. about six months. Mm -hmm. Did you like that? I liked it, but I was very nervous. I was very nervous. I was very nervous doing any kind of acting. There was an actor who was my friend on that show called Michael Storm. He played a character called Larry Wolak, one of the main characters on One Life to Live mm -hmm. in Landview. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Larry Wolak had been on that show already for like 13 years. Yeah. He was a little tired of it, but he, you know, it was a good living and all that. And mm -hmm. Judith Light was on it in those days. Wow. Uh, the great Judith Light. Mm -hmm. So um, the guy who played, Michael Storm played Larry Wolak, mm -hmm. knew that I was very easy to crack up. He had the ability to cross one eye so if this is his downstage eye, you wouldn't see it. The camera wouldn't see it. They can make this eye cross. And I was so easy. I was so easy. To, I was nervous, so I would laugh easily. And uh, like eventually they warned me. They said, like, you know, you, you, even though it's a tape show, it's not live. Yeah. You're costing money. You're, like, breaking up. I was yeah. so nervous. Anyway. Uh, did, you, did you go back and study film acting at all? No. Never? No. Never have. Interesting. Um, I learned the principles that I learned in mm -hmm. stage acting apply, but you have to. Uh, there's certain other things you have to get learn. small. You have to get so much smaller, and well, you have to you have to keep within the boundaries of real. what is real. Yeah, you have to get really real. Yeah, the underpinnings are the same, but you mm -hmm. have to. The size of things has to be real. Has to be human. Right. If it, by the way, if you're if even the, smaller if than the, human. If you've, got, so. if you've got that camera right there. Uh, the way I think of it is, if, if, if you're starting out from something that is real, mm -hmm. you can actually be quite That's effusive. True. That's true. But what happens is there's a temptation to goose everything, and that you can't do. Right. That's it's the authenticity do. staying at the... Yeah, you have to yeah. keep the... What's, what's, and you have to stay alive. It's acting you as... You have to stay internally alive. And your perceptions have to be alive. You have to keep mm. this information mm. not just going up, but coming in. Right, right. Acting is this funny dichotomy, where you, the way I view it anyway. You have to both have a, something that you've prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, you work on it. You, know, mm -hmm. so you don't just do it when you get there. Mm -hmm. You've worked on it. I don't just mean learning it, but how to do it. Right. But then, when the time comes to do it, you have to also be completely open, or as open as you can, mm -hmm. to the moment and what's happening to, from the other people and the place that you're in and all that. Mm -hmm. So you have to do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what's hard about it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so then I so how'd you get so how'd you get Amadeus? I auditioned. I auditioned my agent. Uh, how'd you get an agent? Also, those big auditions, those those centralized uh -huh. auditions. Nice. And I went with an agent who uh, I went with an agent called Lionel Larner, who mm -hmm. was a big star agent. He didn't have any. I dumb, you know, I, like I like I don't want a commercial agent. I want somebody who handles like he was. He was, you know, legit. 
not just legit, only stars, only named stars. So how how did that happen? He had a he had a, a woman agent mm -hmm. who was sort of one of his seconds, mm -hmm. you know, one of his minions, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, saw me at Yale and a couple of things, and said this guy's going to be a star. Mm -hmm. Well, I showed her. <laughs> <laughs> You've done pretty well. I I, I can't. Complain. You've done pretty well. Anyway, uh, she signed me mm -hmm. uh, to Lionel Warren, mm -hmm. or uh, agreed to represent. I shouldn't say signed me. Mm -hmm. She had a client mm -hmm. named Daniel Davis. Do you know Daniel Davis? I don't think so. He was he played on the nanny. He played oh. the butler. Oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. So he he played Salieri mm -hmm. in the bus and truck Amadeus that I was first casting. Okay. So I did that, and I got the audition because her client was playing the lead in it. Mm -hmm. I auditioned. I got the part. I did it. I did that a total of I think about seventeen months. Mm -hmm. That's know, a long between time. that and the Broadway show, I did mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. um, about six months into it, mm -hmm. I began to have terrible, unbelievably bad stage fright, unbelievably powerful stage fright. Wow. I have a friend, Phil Bosco. He just passed away yesterday. Yeah. You might you might know him. Uh -huh. Also, stuck. Did he pass away? Yes, he died oh. yesterday. Yesterday or the day before. Uh, he was 88. Mm -hmm. But he also, as a beloved actor in the theater, mm -hmm. suffered miserably with stage fright. Oh. I mean, a horrible, powerful stage fright. My stage fright was so bad mm -hmm. that I could, it took every ounce of courage and discipline I had to just get my ass to the theater. I just hated it. Wow. I hated it. But I was so young that I thought, oh, I have to do this. This is a Broadway gig. I mean, it was a Broadway show. I had friends that I went to school with who would have been thrilled to have a Broadway show. I was just going to ask you if that first time walking out into the footlights on Broadway, did that have, did you have that moment? It was like getting on a, on a, on a, on a cyclone at Coney Island. It was like, I was like, wow! So it, was like, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Wow. There's 1,200 people out there. Look at me. I, I, I didn't, mm -hmm. that, I, it sounds strange because I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I had chosen to be an actor for some not so healthy reasons, as people do. Mm -hmm. I think, I thought it was my responsibility to, as I said before, make life seem like a winnable proposition to my parents, mm -hmm. particularly my father, and their surrogates, the audience. Mm -hmm. So I thought an actor has to be superhuman. Mm -hmm. I no longer view acting that way. Mm -hmm. Actors have to be human. Mm -hmm. The human beings, not superhuman, mm -hmm. but the pressure mm -hmm. because of the way I viewed it, you know, having to make the audience believe that life is magical and all that. Um, that pressure was so great that I began to uh, bridle against it. It began to be a, a enormously heavy weight, mm -hmm. um, and I think that made acting very, very problematic for me. Wow! And like half the way through it. Mm -hmm. I said, oh my God, I'm, I'm, and, I, and I was, I mean, it was horrible. I had to resort to taking drugs. When I say drugs, I mean legal drugs, mm -hmm. but drugs to, just to get me through the performance. That's so now how did, how did that start for you? I, I know you're, you're a long time sober. What, what was your drug of choice? I don't talk about it. Okay. Okay, so, um, so but was that, was, was not being, do, did that, was that as a, because you were so uncomfortable? Uh, no, I mean I, th I, I think that I think 
I think it didn't help. I mean, okay. or it didn't hurt. I, did, I think I think that heightened things. Okay. But I think I would have had that propensity anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Mm -hmm. But I went through a horrible, horrible time where I just kind of had this kind of nervous breakdown while I was still doing the show, and I wow. could, I wouldn't let myself quit. Wow. It was horrible. Wow. And then finally it was over, mm -hmm. and I said to myself, "Oh, this is bad." This is bad. Let I'm me do it again. No, I chose oh. to. I said, oh. I'm never going to set foot on stage again. Oh. It's horrible. I made this awful mistake. Wow. You know, I chose to be an actor. I went to Yale. I've been on Broadway and all that. And I cannot handle it. I don't like it. It's awful. So what happened? So I had an agent. Mm -hmm. by, by then, the woman who signed me at Lionel Larner mm -hmm. had moved on to another agency. And I went with her. She went to Abrams. Mm -hmm. Who's been my agent for ever. Mm -hmm. And... They had a very big voiceover department, mm -hmm. a very big commercial department, a very big voiceover department. Mm -hmm. So I said, listen, I'd like to go out for voiceovers. And You've got a great voice for it. Harry Abrams said to me, well, you know, they don't, they don't want voices that are mellifluous. They want voices that cut through and, you know. So very shortly out of the box, I got a couple of quite nice accounts. I got Conical Oil and I got Mercedes Benz. Wow. So there I was, I, I had quit acting. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the usual sense of the word. Right, I was going to say it's still acting, but... Yeah, it's a kind mm -hmm. of acting. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, and you know, I didn't have very long idle. I was idle for maybe a few months, and mm -hmm. that was it. Mm -hmm. And then, I got MCI, I got, eventually I got CBS News, CBS Sports, I had a giant career as a voiceover guy. Is this where Sybil Trent, is this where you were? Yeah. Yeah, Sybil Trent, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. And I acted, mm -hmm. but only in little things where I could have fun, where there wasn't a lot of pressure, and I wouldn't audition for anything. On stage? No, this, movies. In movies, okay. Yeah. You wouldn't audition for anything, no. so how would you get things? Um, there were certain casting directors. Mm -hmm. uh, Julia Taylor was one who mm -hmm. cast all of Woody's films. Mm -hmm. uh, Ellen Lewis was another. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, uh, there was a guy, well, I, I won't go into all the different things. But the, how, how did the Woody thing... Uh, because you've done seven of his films, which only Diane Keaton, Mia Farrow, and Woody then himself have done more Woody Allen films. How is it because once he got comfortable with you, he wanted you back? What, what was that about? Well, uh, I don't know the answer except to say that, uh, you know, Juliet, mm -hmm. who was his casting director, was mm -hmm. fond of me. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess he liked me, I liked him. We had a kind of, a, to call it a friendship might be over dignifying it somewhat, okay. but we had a we there was a kind of a a, a kind of a friendship, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I think also physically, I think he liked the fact that I was so big and he's so small. Mm -hmm. The time now I forgot to mention in this mm -hmm. um, during the time that I was doing all these voiceovers, I got extremely heavy, mm -hmm. extremely heavy. I was over mm -hmm. four hundred pounds. Oh wow! I'm hardly thin today, but I, but mm -hmm. but I'm mm -hmm. talking about I was. Huge. Uh -huh. I was over 400 pounds and six foot one. So, the kinds of roles that I would have been mm. right for were relatively limited. Mm -hmm. uh, but part of that had to do with the fact that I didn't like the way I was physically. Part of it had to do with the fact that I wasn't having certain needs met. Mm -hmm. Part of it had to do with just a relationship to food that was sick mm -hmm. or if not sick, not typical. Anyway, I got very, very, very heavy during that time. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And 
didn't matter because I was doing voiceovers, but occasionally Juliette Taylor would call, or um, Barbara Shapiro, or somebody mm -hmm. else would say, uh, Woody has a psychiatrist, uh, it's six days, you wanna do it? Sure. Uh, there's a Cher movie, Cher, you play the head of uh, the Legal Aid Society that Cher works for. There's a movie called Suspect. Oh God, I love that movie, Dennis sure. Quay, uh -huh. I play Cher's boss. Mm -hmm. it's, it's three weeks, you wanna do it? Sure. Mm -hmm. So I was in this kind of golden position where I didn't care if they said, if they, in other words, I wouldn't audition and I didn't need to do it. I was making millions of dollars. Wow, that's a voiceover a actor. Nice. No, well, it was very good mm -hmm. in a way, in a way. But I had no responsibilities. I had no kids. I had mm -hmm. no wife. I had no, I, I, my college debt was over in the mm -hmm. first year because I made all this money. Mm -hmm. Paid it off. Mm -hmm. So I had no responsibilities of that kind. But I wasn't terribly happy. Mm. Um, there were certain things that I really wanted in life. Mm -hmm. And I thought myself too defective, too weak, too much of a broken-hearted baby to ever be able to tolerate the things that I really wanted the most. Life. Such as? Well, somebody to go through life hand-in-hand uh, hand with, to use a corny expression, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but to really go through life. Mm -hmm. a you know, I, had, I had lots mm -hmm. of relationships with mm -hmm. women, mm -hmm. but they tended to be based on an inequality in power rather than more of a shared thing, more mm -hmm. of a partnership, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Yes, I do. Um, I had girlfriends, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but not what I wanted, which was to really, to really go through life with somebody, with yes. all that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like children, but I thought, oh, I'm too selfish, I'm too messed up, I'm too, I'm too needy. I wanted to work about, do some kind of work, and I, don't get me wrong, I liked making money, I still mm -hmm. do, mm -hmm. I'm still very it's fond a, of money. Yeah. But uh, I was using, you know, like a tenth of my um, heart and soul and ability, mm. uh, and the rest of it, I was doing some writing projects, but they were, you know, they were speculative. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really, all these things that I really wanted in life, mm -hmm. I just thought, I'm too messed up. I'm just too messed up, mm -hmm. I'll never get them. And for me, most of the pain and difficulty in my life that mm -hmm. I've caused mm -hmm. has not been caused by trying to do something. It's, mm -hmm. been it's been caused by my getting the thing that I could get rather than the thing that I really wanted. Do you see what I mean by that? Rather than pursuing the thing that my heart really desired, mm -hmm. I was unwilling to endure the uncertainty, the, the all that. Mm -hmm. So instead, I got the things that I knew I could get, mm -hmm. and I didn't know the difference between happiness and comfort. Mm -hmm. Those are two different things. I made do with comfort. I became addicted to comfort. Mm -hmm. Because happiness, I thought, well, I'll never get that. You see what I mean? So my life became about the amassment of comfort. Do, do you remember at that period, like, what would make you happy? Like, did food, food didn't make you happy? Food and women. Two things. Okay. Only two. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, a great piece of film or a mm -hmm. great book. Mm -hmm. Uh, but food women more direct path. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so how did that shift for you? Well, I had twenty years mm -hmm. 
doing that. And it was, though I, you know, parts of it were not great, most of it was good. Uh, and then I met my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in recovery, mm -hmm. or dedicated to recovery, sort of beginning it. And then, you know, after we got married, we had children. This is a long, you know, mm -hmm. many years. Mm -hmm. And then the bottom kind of fell out of the voiceover world for me. There was a kind of a sea change that happened where they stopped wanting dramatic sounding voices and they started wanting <clears throat> more real sounding mm. voices. And that's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. And I was a visible enough player in the good years for mm -hmm. long enough that mm -hmm. people kind of knew I wasn't associated with me with a certain kind of thing. Right. I was the voice of the NFL, Mercedes-Benz, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. very often uh, these kind of uh, iconic big voice things. Sure. So all of a sudden, uh, and then the guy, uh, there was a new guy who came into CBS mm -hmm. uh, Sports mm -hmm. and kind of changed the guard. Uh, CBS Sports was for many years my main, I had, for eight years I had this job, CBS Sports, unbelievable job, unbelievable. Eight hours a week, two four hour days per week, eight hours each, two, you know, two days, four hours each day, $8,000 a week, 52 weeks a year. That's a pretty nice gig. Everything, whatever the hell I wanted to do the whole rest of the week. Yeah. For eight years that went on. That's damn nice. And plus all kinds of others. But right. that was the basis. Right. Then this guy came in and changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was history. Mm -hmm. And then nobody wanted to hire me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do. And by that time, I had a responsibility. We had children. And then shortly after that, our children were diagnosed with autism. And I wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had some savings, you know, I mm -hmm. made a lot of money. Right. But we had two houses. We had a, we had an apartment in New York, mm -hmm. plus two kids, mm -hmm. plus we had a house out in Montel. Mm -hmm. And things were looking very dire. And then when our children were both diagnosed with autism, mm -hmm. we were like, uh, what are we going to do? This is bad. And we were told to get services immediately, mm -hmm. was of, the, of absolute essential importance to get services right away. Mm -hmm. But there was this avalanche of cases of autism in New York City where we lived and you couldn't get, even though we were entitled legally to them, mm -hmm. there just weren't providers mm -hmm. to give the service. So we happened to have this house out in Montauk mm -hmm. and we had a pediatrician out there mm -hmm. and she told us about this school that existed out there. Oh wow. Um, that was a very good school, very unusual school mm -hmm. called the Child Development Center in the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. And we met with them out there mm -hmm. and our children were long before school age, they're still you know, mm -hmm. tiny mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. Our kids were 14 months old, 15 months old. Oh, wow. At the time. How, what made you think to get them diagnosed? Alec, who was our son who has a really profound autism mm -hmm. still, I wouldn't say profound, but serious autism, mm -hmm. um, neither one of them would make eye contact easily. Mm -hmm. Although that's not so unusual in kids that age. Right. They, they didn't respond to their names very often. Mm -hmm. And Alec, we took him to the, we were in Florida visiting my wife's parents. Mm -hmm. We took him to a playground. And there was one of those things that looks like a ship's wheel, like a spinning wheel, mm -hmm. like a, you know, mm -hmm. ship's wheel. He would spin it and spin it and stand in front of it for an hour. And it, the moment you tried to take him away from it, he would start crying. Mm -hmm. He would stand in front of it forever. Mm -hmm. And then we started noticing that he had this kind of wheel perseveration with anything. Um, spinning tires of tr toys, yeah. trucks, mm -hmm. uh, ceiling fans, anything mm -hmm. like spun. And my wife was watching a TV show mm -hmm. where they were talking about a, 
uh, a family that had uh, several children with autism. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, do you think Alec might be autistic? I said, no, no, I don't think so. Kids that are autistic are different. They're in their own world and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I, I was, I went to the my computer and I looked it up on the internet to mm -hmm. see what those signs were. And they listed like 10 things and he had every single thing mm -hmm. that they mm -hmm. mentioned. So I, we asked somebody what we should do and we had them, we had a state agency suggest a psychologist who came to the house, looked at them, mm -hmm. diagnosed them. Once they were diagnosed, mm -hmm. um, she diagnosed Alec as having autism and my other son Lee as having PDD, which is a kind of... Um, uh, That's what my son has, PDD. It, it, it means you're on the spectrum, but you don't have quite severe enough problems for it to be considered autism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It means you have some symptoms. In that what, what is it called? What is the lesser one called? PDD. Or, Asperger's? Or Asperger's, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. That's something different. That's something different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we, we freaked out, mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to find somebody who was the biggest expert that I could on early childhood autism. Mm -hmm. So I went to my uh, relative, who's a big famous doctor, and mm -hmm. he said, okay, we're gonna put you in touch with this guy. He started the autism program at Columbia. He's very famous all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we went and took them to see him. Mm -hmm. You know, not covered by insurance and all that. And, mm -hmm. um, he said, they both have full autism. So he said, I, he said, I know that's hard to hear, but I wanna tell you the truth so that you can get the help that you, mm -hmm. you know, the most help you can. Mm -hmm. He said, if you need any kind of documentation, if you need me to go to court or anything like that, mm -hmm. happy to do it. Mm -hmm. So then we found out we couldn't get the services. Mm -hmm. They just weren't available. So out in the Hamptons where we lived, because it's Suffolk County, mm -hmm. they had the services available. People hadn't discovered this massive, now they have, right? but people were slower to, to find mm -hmm. out about autism. Mm -hmm. So we went to the school, mm -hmm. and this woman who ran the school, a great woman, uh, absolutely terrific, said to us, listen, if you can, this was June, mm -hmm. she said, if you can move out here by the end of August, mm -hmm. full time, you have mm -hmm. to live out here full time, mm -hmm. I can guarantee you 30 hours per child per week, that's six hours a day, five days a week, per child in home ABA. And what? Then, and then, yeah, this is, nobody gets this anymore. And then another, another five hours per child in the school. Per day? No, it, oh, for, okay. per week. Okay. Of, of getting speech and anything else they may need. Wow. So that's an unbelievably... That's a huge... And of course, all free. Wow. Paid for by the, by wow. the government. Wow. They hired two therapists mm -hmm. to work with us full time. We had wow. people working with us, two people come to our house every day. Wow. So our kids had unbelievably intensive, good uh, hmm. intervention. Wow. Now, there's no question in my mind that it helped both of them. Mm -hmm. Lee, as I've explained, uh, whatever manifestation his autism has anymore is so mild that no one ever... And he's in a gifted... And yeah, he's in a, gift, he's in a gifted program at North Hollywood High School. Uh, he gets... He's, he gets... He gets... He just got, he just got a report card. Um, I had to explain to him again that he got more A's in the last year than his mother and me have gotten in our entire combined 44 <laughs> years of education. Uh, he just get, he doesn't always get straight A's, but for the last year and a half he's gotten them. Mm -hmm. And also he's not 
nerdy. He's not. He's very mm-hmm. social. He's mm-hmm. very smart. He's funny. He's witty. So he outgrew it. What happened? I don't know. Uh-huh. His at, at what point in his at what point did it shift? His was never as noticeable or as bad. Mm-hmm. But around the time he was maybe four or five, mm-hmm. uh, he started looking very much like a typical child. Mm-hmm. He started talking. Our other son, Alec, mm-hmm. speaks, has speech, but he didn't really start talking till he was about seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he still speaks, you know, in a not really, he speaks haltingly mm-hmm. with difficulty, mm-hmm. and he's better at answering questions than he is talking spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Lee is. You can't shut him up, and he's very, very articulate, very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, very smart. Mm-hmm. He's also a really talented. Uh, he has an unbelievably good ear. Mm-hmm. You know the old Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol? Do you know that? You yeah, sure. That? So we've always watched that in our family. We mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. So he had the idea that he mm-hmm. wanted to do his own Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol, where he does all the voices, all of them. So we're working on it right now. I do a narrator voice mm-hmm. because you can't see, there's no picture. Mm-hmm. But he plays all the other voices except for the two female voices. Mm-hmm. That's like 14 voices. And they're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, seriously. Mm-hmm. He's really, really I believe talented. you. He's just, he just finished his first movie last year. Mm-hmm. First feature. Um, oh, here they are. And here they are. Hey. Hello. Hi. There's Lee. <laughs> there they are. Here's hey, Lee. Lee. We were just, your dad's just talking about you. Hello there. Hello, Hi. Lee. How are you? I'm good. You want to come on and say hello? Your dad was just talking about you. <laughs> hello. How you doing? Hi. Hi. Sorry to oh, barge we're, in. We're over there. No That's okay. That's no, okay. no, we, we've gotten long. You walked in at the right time. It's very casual, though. We it's very <laughs> casual. So you guys are welcome to, to say hey. See the camera over there? Come over here. It's over here. Oh, I'm going to get out. Hi, I'm Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Just to talking about nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Your dad's just talking right about how great you guys are. Oh, oh, is that done? That's like... No, it's, no, it's, oh, it's on right now. Right. Oh. We were just hearing about your Mr. Magoo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm going to have to see when it's done. Awesome. Yeah, you hear it, hear it. It's just voices. There's no picture. Oh, oh, there's never. Oh, it's going to be uh, it's an like audio. Radio oh, okay. Oh, it's a radio. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Where'd you wind up eating? Um, we went to City Walk. We got. Um, I got my usual. You know the um, teriyaki chicken bowl. Um, I think we got some stuff for you, right, Mom? What? We got some stuff for Dad. Yeah. Yeah, we did. All right. Um. So yeah. Great. Excellent. I'm gonna retire because I still have some work to do. Okay, buddy. Right. Um, Good to meet you. Good to meet you too. Thanks for letting me be on the stream. You are. You are. You are. <laughs> you are. Anyway, so you see. So I see. Two there, two there. So I, I yeah, but I mean, I would never in yeah. a million years. No. Never. Well, there's truly. I mean, there's, you know, whatever vestiges of it are, they're so subtle that they essentially don't matter. Um, it's miraculous. Yeah, it is miraculous. Especially for that 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 one high-esteemed doctor to make that diagnosis doesn't, well, it's crazy I, to me. I don't think he was wrong. I just mm-hmm. think it's such a complex problem that, mm-hmm. it co- you know, we, we talk about it as if it's one thing. It's mm-hmm. really not one thing. It's a lot of different possible things. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, all right. So, now your family's home. So, be, so before we, we let you go, how did you meet the Cone Brothers? How did that happen? Okay. So, during this period, when we moved out to Montauk, mm-hmm. To get these services. And so meanwhile, you're living in Montauk, but you're not really working. Is that when you're that not really exactly working? exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. And we had savings, mm-hmm. but, uh, 
you know, after a couple of years, they were like kind of depleted. Mm -hmm. We wound up selling our apartment in New York. Mm -hmm. We lived full time out in Montauk. Mm -hmm. And I would do like, I did like Law and Order and stuff. But you know, Are you getting, uh, do you get residuals as a voice actor? You get from some commercials, but my accounts by that time were pretty much dried up. Okay. Pretty much dried up. Mm -hmm. So things were looking rather dire. Mm -hmm. And I had like a year's worth of money before I would have to do something really kind of serious, like sell our house and move something smaller or something like right. that. Right. So this friend of mine said, look, if money were no object, what would you like to do? Mm -hmm. I said, well, if I, if I didn't have to worry about it, I'd like to go back to acting and writing like I used to, but I mean, it's such a, such a long shot. He said, well, why don't you try? I mean, you've got nothing to lose. So I did, to no great success initially. I was like on one order, and you know, the typical, mm -hmm. everybody's ever done demonstration of something at Bloomingdale's in New York gets to be on one order. That's <laughs> and then, one day I was sitting at home with my wife in Montauk, mm -hmm. and she, the phone rang, and she got it, and she talked to the person on the other end. She said, do you know somebody named Joel Cohen? And I know an accountant named Joel Cohen. <laughs> so I said, Joel Cohen the accountant, or Joel Cohen, Joel and Ethan Cohen? She said, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Now, I knew them a little bit because I had gone to school with Fran McDormand and John Turturro, and I knew John Goodman, and so I knew a lot of people in their retinue, and I right. had auditioned many years prior mm -hmm. for Barton Fink. Do you remember in Barton Fink, Jack Lipnick, the guy, the movie, the movie mogul who, who hires Barton Fink? I don't remember my kid's birthday. I mean, I do, but <laughs> anyway. I, uh, yeah, I love the movie, but I don't remember it at all. So that guy, he's, he's, John Turturro, that's all I remember. The, the, this character is a mm -hmm. movie studio executive who's, mm -hmm. who hires Barton Fink. The, okay. the guy who played it is a mm -hmm. wonderful actor and was nominated for an Oscar for it. Uh, oh, who? All right, see? Never mind. <laughs> well, he, I should know because okay. he's with my agency, he's a terrific actor. Okay. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I, I placed. I came in second, okay. according to Ethan. Mm -hmm. So they knew me, mm -hmm. and also Fran. You know, I was mm -hmm. quite friendly with Fran and John mm -hmm. Turturro and some other people like that. And they were. They told me they were looking at some footage mm -hmm. of Taylor Leone for an, for another role, not in this movie, in another movie. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be doing a scene with her in a Woody film. What what Woody film? Uh, what was Taylor I think it was, I think it was um, Hollywood Ending. Okay. Hollywood Ending. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the ones that nobody knows. Mm -hmm. I know I saw it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> it's the one where he goes, he's the director who goes blind. And... Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually, it's very funny. Yeah. So I had a scene with Taylor Leone in it, and they uh -huh. were looking at her, but they happened to notice me, and that reminded them of me. Nice. Whom they knew. Mm -hmm. And Joel went on the phone, he said, listen, uh, you know, we've written this movie, it's called A Serious Man. Mm -hmm. There's a part in this movie, I just have a feeling that you'd be really good in this part. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. I was like, check my book. Okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> this is after you said, I'd really like to go back to acting. Yeah. Um, this is all manifestation, you know, because this show is about how to make these things happen. And man manifesting is... Well, it was about a year of mm -hmm. very difficult, panicky, you know... Between the time that, but still, there was a there was a desire. It was said out loud. Yes. There was an intention. There was an intention, but I didn't. Th I had. I didn't think the intention was going to come too much, honestly. Okay. I, didn't do I don't it. know that we have to. I think we just kind of have to have the intention. But anyway. So they said, "Come to New York." Mm -hmm. So I came to New York. I. I read. I talked to them, and they said, "Yeah, we definitely want you to do it. We're not going to see anybody else." They had seen a lot of people and not mm -hmm. found anybody else that they liked. Mm -hmm. They said there's a, the only problem is that you should understand is we have, there are three movies we're kind of doing simultaneously 
and one of them is Burn After Reading, which is a big star-studded movie. It has, Fantastic, it has yeah. George Clooney in it and Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Mm -hmm. So we have to do it based on when we, the availability of those actors. Right. So we may not get to a serious man for a while. What year is this? This was 2006 or seven. Mm -hmm. can't remember. I think it was two, I think beginning of 2007 mm -hmm. or end of 2006. So they said, we might, we're not sure when we're going to get to it. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay. Meanwhile, I'm like running out of money. Right. So, but I said, well, we definitely want you to do it. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, great. So I'm all excited about that. Something to really, you know, get excited about. And that's mm -hmm. a really good part. I know mm -hmm. if I'm good at it, it's going to make, it's, it'll be great. Mm -hmm. So like six months pass, mm -hmm. nine months pass. I don't hear anything, nothing. Finally, a year passes. And I thought, Hi. shit, this is going to never happen. This is one of those things that happens in show business where, you know, a director has a project and it falls apart. The financing goes away or mm. some actor drops out of it. And that's that. Finally, after like 14 months, I get a call. We're going to do it. So I go to Minneapolis mm -hmm. and do it. And I had a total, absolute blast. I mean, I just loved doing it. I had such a great Richard time. Kind, Richard Kind. Richard Kind. Uh, the whole cast is Michael amazing. Michael Stuhlbach, everybody. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, Who's the woman? Who, who played the, the woman that you were courting? What's her name? Sari Lennox who was a local hire in Minneapolis, very very talented, very good actress, mm -hmm. now lives out here in California. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just a terrific cast all mm -hmm. around, and, and them. Mm -hmm. And I got to be friendly with them during the making of it, mm -hmm. which, which I, you know, am deeply grateful. They're very interesting, wonderful people. Mm -hmm. Very smart and funny and interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so I did it. Mm -hmm. And then by that time I was like pretty much out of money, and I had to wait another year for it to come out. Oh. Because, you know, that's how movies yeah. are made. But when it came out, uh, even though it's not sort of in the, you know, the, it's not the most seen of their movies, it made enough of a, an impression on enough people, and people saw the business. Mm -hmm. um, and it was nominated for Best Picture at the yes. Oscars, and mm -hmm. I, I won an Independent Spirit Award for mm -hmm. it. And so you know, all of a sudden it put me at the age of whatever I was, 52 then or whatever, I think it was mm -hmm. 52 when it came out, 53, into this, you know, Castable. Suddenly, new beyond Caswell, I was getting offers for things like you know, Captain Rhymes, great. Mm -hmm. So, I, in a million years, I would never ever have guessed that that was to be uh, the trajectory of mm -hmm. things. But uh, you know, it, it turned out good. But I think by that time, a lot of things had rearranged within me, and I viewed acting very differently. I enjoyed it really thoroughly. Enjoyed do, it. I was going to say, do you appreciate it? Did it now? Is it happy as a put like? What's happy? You were talking about comfort and happy. What's happy now? Um, it, it's totally joyous for me to do. Even the shitty parts are great. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no bad... I never have a bad experience with it. It's so interesting to mm -hmm. me. It's all about people and how mm -hmm. they do things and what they tell themselves. Mm -hmm. Which to me, like that's the most interesting thing in the world. And it's always different. Mm -hmm. you know, each part is different. Each mm -hmm. bunch of people you work with is different. Mm -hmm. And um, it's exciting. You know, I've been on a hundred film sets, in the hundreds, more than a hundred. There's no place more exciting. It's always really. I'm exciting. so happy to hear that you have such appreciation for it now I because love it. your attitude before was really pissing me off <laughs> because my daughter would kill for the experience that well, you had. You know, I was aware of that. <laughs> yeah. And that was making me feel even worse because I yeah. knew I should feel good about mm. it or should feel proud of it. But well, I was. Don't just, shit on yourself, as they say. Right, but that's. But I. I mm. You know, I didn't. I didn't realize. Um, why I. Why I was doing it. What. What. 
Was there something, did you have a spiritual awakening? Was there something that shifted? I had the spiritual awakening before that, and I don't know whether or not that, how much, I had a spiritual awakening during the hardest part of Amadeus, actually. Okay. Um, but, I, the, but the spiritual awakening that I had that was more formal was mm -hmm. later on when I got into the, into the whole step thing. Mm -hmm. And what that was to do with was, well, to put it simply, mm -hmm. I met this guy mm -hmm. in these programs, mm -hmm. and he said to me, he took thousands, literally thousands of people through the steps. Mm -hmm. He was one of the real, you know. Pubas. Yeah, mm -hmm. but really a fascinating person. Mm -hmm. And he said many things that were very helpful. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was kind of the most useful to me was, he said, instead of thinking of God as this thing that you pray to, that you address your wishes to, mm -hmm. what do you think God wants of you? And I thought about it, and it was so obvious, it's to be a better person, mm -hmm. obvious. Not by the rules of Judaism mm -hmm. or Christianity or... To be of service? Well, of course, mm -hmm. but of service not just to these programs, no, but no, to be of yeah. service of, in, in life. In life. That, mm -hmm. All that, what does it mean to be of service? It means to make the burdensome part of life less burdensome for people that have to carry most of the burden, mm -hmm. including myself. Mm -hmm. And to be generous in life, mm -hmm. to everybody that I can be generous to, to try and keep my word about things, mm -hmm. to try and, well, that's really it, to try and come, to try and come from a, a place of, of being kind. When did that happen? On my knees. <laughs> How long ago? Uh, that was 1993. Because I think it's really interesting that you had that spiritual awakening, and yet you had many life challenges after that. I had many life challenges my whole life. My whole life. That, but so does everybody. <laughs> yeah, but, but then you did, you did get to find what happiness... When did you discover what happiness was? Well... I got to experience it. I mean, I kind of knew what it was, but I got to experience it. A lot of things changed in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I stopped being so phobic about I had a terrible fear of flying. Mm -hmm. Awful. I mm -hmm. didn't step on a plane for over 25 years. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Now I fly all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's a long, long story. I'm married with children, which is something I never thought would happen to me. Mm -hmm. um, I My work is very deeply satisfying to me, which I never thought would happen to me. I have a lot of problems. I have all kinds of, I have diseases, I have, you know, but listen, I don't want to bore you. I have a lot of physical problems, mm -hmm. but I'm walking around, I'm able to work, I'm able to enjoy life mm -hmm. a lot, mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. I have friends, I have two friends in my class that are dead already, and they were in good shape compared to me, mm -hmm. and they're both dead. Mm -hmm. You know, they both smoked. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, life is so big mm -hmm. that the only generality that's true about it is whatever you say it is, it is. If you say life is unfair 
full of pain, unremitting torture. Mm -hmm. You're right, it is. Mm -hmm. And if you say life is beautiful and full of promise, mm -hmm. you're right. It's all those things. Mm -hmm. It has to do entirely with your frame of mind. Ah, perspective. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If you're in a bad place, to use a corny modismo, mm -hmm. corner self you can have all great things happen to you and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And the converse is also true. If you're in a good state of mind, you hear a nice song, you see a pretty girl, you get a nice anything, you go, how can I forget? How can I forget? Life is so good. It's a daily practice. And, it's a, and it's, it can sometimes be a moment-to-moment -moment practice, right? Because it's very easy to lose sight of all this beauty and all this wonder and all this fabulousness and to get caught up in the minutiae of complaining and, and the things that are wrong, right? It's very easy to take what's good for granted. That's mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. That's what winds up happening. Mm -hmm. So I try not to take what's good for granted. Mm -hmm. But there's enough tragedy befalling people that I know mm -hmm. that I tend not to take it for granted. I tend not to take it for granted. And I have this feeling in life that the things that were most important in life that mm -hmm. I never thought I would get, I've got. I've got them. Mm -hmm. It's not one day going to happen. I'm there already. I'm past that. Mm -hmm. I'm into the place where it's now like, like what color do I want? What? It's mm -hmm. not, you know... It's, 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 it's great. Okay, so let's, so we've been talking for like almost two hours. So, okay, so what's great now? What, right today, you have a lot of projects about to drop. So what, what's, what's on your plate right now? Work-wise. Yeah. <laughs> You'll excuse me. All right. We have to look at the IMD page, IMDB yeah. page, because there's so many things. Yeah. But there's lady, there's been Lady Dynamite and Fargo. Well, if I want to really impress you, I'll look at somebody else's IMDB page. Uh, no. You have a pretty good one yourself. All right. While you, while you're looking, I'm seeing. Hi, Nick. Nick is on here watching. Hi, Nick. All right. Hi, Sharon. Pamela. Phil. Here are things that are. Snappy. Shauna. That are new that are coming up. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of movies that I made that I'm excited for them to come out. Okay. Cool. Um, uh, one of them is called Lying and Stealing. Yeah. Um, which is a story about the art world in LA mm -hmm. and uh, a guy who's a thief, a kind of high-end thief, who steals very, very um, desirable pieces of art and tries to get out of that world. That's a particularly interesting movie to me uh, because I play an unapologetic, sadistic villain in that. Something You're, I rarely... you, you, you do play bad guys, though. I do, but this, mm -hmm. is, not a, this is not a Cy Abelman kind of bad mm -hmm. guy. Now, this is a straight-ahead, sadist, nasty, nasty bad guy okay. who doesn't try and hide it. Okay. So that's uh, that was unusual for that's, me. And that must be fun. It was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And um, we just, uh, I have to... Yeah, look, 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 look what else you got. Well, I don't know what I would say. So that, that's also a very interesting cast. Emily Ratajkowski, Theo mm -hmm. James, you mm -hmm. know who they are? No. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Emily Ratajkowski mm -hmm. is a beautiful actress, or mm -hmm. was a major model. You might be, if I showed you her picture, you might recognize yeah. her. Look her up. On, on. There she is. Okay, so hold, hold that up so they can see. Can you see? <sighs> Could you see that? Yeah. Probably yeah. not. All okay. right, anyway. Yeah. So that's an interesting film that I, mm -hmm. that I uh, enjoyed very much. Another mm -hmm. one uh, is called Silver Lake. Okay. 
which is also a very, very interesting film, Good Part, that I enjoyed mm -hmm. thoroughly. It stars Martin Starr. Do you know Martin Starr? He's on... <laughs> Martin Starr is a... He was on Freaks and Geeks. Now he's on Silicon Valley. I've heard Silicon Valley is brilliant and funny, and I've never seen an episode, and I've heard I've, I have to binge it. So. He's one of the stars of Silicon okay. Valley. Mm -hmm. So that's a film about um, an artist, a writer, mm -hmm. living uh, in Silver Lake, mm -hmm. who is going out with a woman mm -hmm. who has children, mm -hmm. and she wants to kind of get serious, and he's just afraid that tying himself down to a family mm -hmm is not going to support his artwork and he mm -hmm. needs this bohemian kind of lifestyle mm -hmm. where he doesn't have responsibilities mm -hmm. in order to pursue his art. And I play mm -hmm. his mentor, who is a writer, a novelist, a mm -hmm. Penn Award, you know, famous novelist, kind of in the Norman Mailer bag, mm -hmm. who uh, is unapologetic about mistreating people, eats with her arms. Another bad guy. Well, he's not really bad. He's not really bad. <laughs> okay. But he sleeps with her, whoever he wants. He eats whatever he wants, he drinks whatever he wants, he puts down whoever he wants. Mm -hmm. He has this rather imperious attitude about himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm kind of a role model. And that's a role model. Well, he, <laughs> he, he thinks. Yeah. But I sort of disabuse him of that. I mm -hmm. tell him that mm -hmm. I'm not really a role model, although he's in, thinking of me as somebody who's devoted himself to his art. Mm -hmm. So that's called Silver Lake. That's, that sounds fun. That is a very interesting movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I have uh, another film that's not coming out for a long, a long time, um, called Hug Chick Chicken Penny, which is with a, uh, 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 <laughs> a filmmaker that I've worked with a bunch of times before, mm -hmm. uh, called Craig, that's Craig Zoller. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen Zoller's movies, look them up, they're fantastic. He made Bone Tomahawk, um, with Kurt Russell, which I've, I've been in all of his movies. This oh, wow. the fourth one. Oh, nice. Um, I won't n name them all because mm -hmm. I'll never remember them. Mm -hmm. but, uh, that's going to be uh, out uh, not for a long time, maybe over mm -hmm. a year. Um, however, some television. Uh, there's a show uh, that's going to be on Apple TV. It's a so far unnamed morning show uh, about uh, about a morning show. Uh, I was going to say about because shows are all the time. Doesn't matter. Yeah, there's no such thing as a morning show anymore. But yeah. Right. Well, this is about a, a morning okay. show along the lines of you know Good Morning America or those uh -huh. those type of shows. And what goes on, and there's a, I, I shouldn't say anything more other, uh, other than that about it. Okay. But it stars Jennifer Aniston, uh, Steve Carell, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, wonderful stars, and that's a really, really interesting project. I also have another show that will be on uh, fairly soon um, called uh, Black Monday, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is going to be on Showtime. This is also a new show. It has not yet been on. Mm -hmm. uh, it stars Don Cheadle. Uh, Paul Schneer, Andrew Reynolds, Regina Hall. <gasps> really, really good show. Mm. And what's your character in that? Um, I play a... Uh, the main character mm -hmm. likes to do drugs on that show, although he's a big guy in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And when he does these drugs, he fantasizes me, and I tell him certain things. <laughs> sort of a spirit that haunts him. Nice! So there's that show, which is coming... Mm -hmm. Um, There's more? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I can see you're having no trouble getting work. Well, Those days are gone. Uh, listen, you never, know. You this, never know. This is quite a bounty you've got coming up here. Then I have my own project, which okay. I'm writing. Okay. Uh, and will be um, executive producing if it winds up getting bought, which I hope it does. Mm -hmm. um, which is a fictional story, but 
but largely based on a true story. Um, uh, it's called The Preservationist. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of a man who was very famous in the world of rare maps, particularly early maps of the Americas, very mm -hmm. well known in that mm -hmm. uh, rarefied world. Mm -hmm. Made a lot of money mm -hmm. selling and buying maps and worked for rich people mm -hmm. and institutions mm -hmm. uh, trading in these maps. Mm -hmm. And after about 20 years kind of at the top of this world, being expert in this, this field of maps, he was caught stealing from the Beinecke Library at Yale, which is, <coughs> which is the rare book library at Yale, and eventually admitted to having been the most prolific map thief of all time, stole many million dollars worth, worth of maps. Mm -hmm. What's so interesting about him is uh, he used most of the money mm -hmm. to establish a kind of a colony of people that were kind of loser friends of his um, for whom he could make life seem, as I said to you, a winnable proposition. Wow. He had this strange compulsion mm -hmm. to be kind of a rescuer. Uh -huh. He's kind of like a Robin Hood. Well, kind of, except that, except that he didn't exactly take the money to give to the poor. It was mm -hmm. to give to his friends. Right. And, he, and a lot of it he kept, but to be an example to people mm -hmm. that, that you could be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, something that I've been working on for a long, long time uh -huh. and will make one of these days. Wonderful. Well, Fred, you are, you are a very, um, you're a fascinating man and you Thank know, you. you know a lot about a lot of things and I, I appreciate your humility and your self-awareness, um, and the fact that you are continually striving to be that better man, um, which is very clear. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it's amazing to me how much you and I, uh, on this very brief acquaintance, uh, have in common and you know, understand about. If I only had all that going on, but <laughs> if I only had all that going, on. no, it's it's been it's been a sincere pleasure for me and, too. Um, thank you, and we're gonna get Fred back. We're gonna get him to Women Who Write to actually read uh, with this uh, melodious voice something wonderful of his that he's written. And thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I appreciate it. And Christina, thank you so much for being back there. Thank you, and, and, and doing I've been sitting there for hours and hours. Yeah, she's been listening on on. to this whole thing. And, and all of you out there, um, uh, we will see you next week with Teo Penglis. Uh, we're going to be in his home, and he has incredible art that we're going to walk around. And this is an unbelievable house we're what in right now. What are you in the refrigerator? Uh, <laughs> no, we, we, we did. Christina, can you show them the, the art that's behind uh, um, Fred there? And uh, and we'll see you next week on uh, on Game Changers. And uh, bye, bye, everybody. Bye. bye. You got it. <laughs>